Interracial John with Drew and Leslie. Get the shit on. Interracial John. Shut the fuck up and listen. Interracial John. Interracial John. Interracial shit motherfuckers. Shut up and listen. Drew and Leslie. Interracial John. Yeah. Welcome to the Interracial John Podcast. I am your host, Leslie Mack, and I'm joined, as always, with by... One very white guy. Oh, my goodness. We have been away from these mics for a really long time, babe. So long. Years? Yeah. I Yeah, I think it's been over a year. Yeah, more almost two years, I wow. think. Wow, okay. And we had like a, a false start, too, in there? We did. We had a back-ish, and we <laughs> titled that quite, quite aptly because we were not back. It was, uh, yeah. Well, uh, if you're, this is your first time joining us, which probably is the case since it's been a couple of years since we've been on these microphones, welcome to the Interracial John podcast. And we're really excited. Uh, we are a obviously married interracial couple. 20 years, get a ding for that. Just celebrated our 20th year anniversary. And we uh, did, you know, just over 150 episodes of season one of the Interracial That's John podcast. too. We really petered out. Yeah, right? yeah. We, you know, we we loved podcasting. It was such a great, um, I don't know, for me, it was just a great time for us to get to talk about what was going on Outlet, in the world. A way and, for us to spend time together. Yeah, yeah especially as things. things were really busy. And we did a weekly show where we kind of shot the shit, had a couple of cool segments we yep. did every week. And when we decided we wanted to bring the show back, we had to really be honest with ourselves that that format was not really going to work for us moving forward um, for a couple of reasons. I mean, for me, one, it's kind of a very crowded marketplace right now in terms of just like people doing general shoot the shit podcasts, right? It's just, I feel like there's so many of them. And then secondly, I, we just needed a more stable kind of bookends to our seasons. We couldn't, we just don't have the time to yeah. be uh, recording every week indefinitely. And so we decided to switch formats and we're going to be doing 10 to 12 episode seasons that are focused on a specific topic yep. for the whole season. So this um, is technically season like two then? Yeah, this is season two, episode one <laughs> okay. right now. And I, I, I didn't go back and listen, but I re have a strong recollection. Your memory is much better than mine. Yeah. Of the very first episode, Interracial John episode one, s signing off with something like, you know, we'll just keep doing this as long as it's, it's fun. As long as we enjoy it, we'll keep doing it. Yeah. And we ended up around 150 something. And I guess that would be the tail of the tape that it, it wasn't serving its purpose not that it wasn't fun. It just, you know, we did as long as we thought it was. And now. Yeah. Season two. Season two. Here we are. Season two. <laughs> Only 10, though. Yeah. Um, 10, and so. 10 to 12, max. Yeah. So we're switching from a weekly assessment of the world to narrative driven 10 to 12 episode seasons, as I mentioned. And uh, before we get into what this season is going to be about, I thought it would be good to just catch up in general. What's been going on with us? I mean, we moved to Charlotte. A lot. Uh, so we're living in Charlotte, North Carolina. We were living in Philadelphia when we first launched the podcast, yep. hence the name Interracial John. And um, we love it here. It's been really great living here in Charlotte. I don't know. Do you want to talk about that at all? And just. I just, I love it. It's one of the five fastest growing cities in the country. Mm. Uh, North Carolina was one of only, I think, two states to gain um, senator congressional representation, like the number of um Seats. District seats yeah. we have went up because our population is growing. The um, housing market seems 
bubbly, <laughs> ready to burst. It's bubbly everywhere, but it's uh, very bubbly here. Wow, do they do? And there's just construction everywhere. everywhere you look. Yeah, it's wild. I haven't lived in a city that's been gr- at this particular like growth point before, so it's interesting, kind of seeing all of that. I follow a lot of, especially yeah. Instagram accounts that are kind of tracking all these huge projects all over the area um we're also getting a medical school here which i think is going to be really huge we've never yep. they haven't had one before this and and the, and just north carolina generally apple's investing i think a, a billion dollars in the durham tech yep. area yep. and you you and i were talking people ask them why why charlotte why north carolina we always say the weather yeah <laughs> really, we, I mean, the we love the great. weather and we kind of elaborated in that you said this is one of the few places as far south as you can go without um, eliminating four seasons. Yeah. Like there's still a winter. Yeah. Sometimes it snows, like on occasion, not very often, but it, it can snow. Yeah. We have Whereas, a beautiful fall, Yeah, but it's not freezing. <laughs> so yeah, we, we do love it very and much. Just four hours south, you have Atlanta that, you know, I don't think they get nearly as much winter as Oh we no, do. and it's way hotter. And it's there way too. hotter. Yeah, yeah, it's true. So climb-wise, it's good, good yeah. choice. And um, now we've got your families where we we put a beachhead. Yes. And now we're, we're dragging we're the rest recruiting. Of the family. We're recruiting yeah. people to move to Charlotte. So my sister has made the move, my older sister, one of my older sisters, which has been really great. And so I, I think uh, it's it'll start toppling from there. We, we've already we, we pulled one in. We gotta we gotta call the Chamber of Commerce sponsor this. <laughs> Hilarious. Uh, we've had some work changes as well, which is actually a good Many. segue. Many. Um, I started my own consulting firm, uh, Leslie Mack Consulting, which is really exciting, and uh, been doing digital strategy and communications uh, work uh, through the consulting firm, including as communications director for the front line. Um, and you recently quit your job and yeah. are now working for the consultancy as well. And that's actually a really great segue to talk about this season, which we are entitling Why Work with a giant question mark. Yep. And um, our own work changes, employment changes really led us to have this kind of discussion about exploring the new landscape of employment and how the idea of quote unquote work has shifted over the last few years and the ways that people like ourselves are building um, a different life for themselves away from traditional nine to five you know, positions or traditional work environments. We'll interview some amazing folks who have taken a leap into a different kind of work uh, with a focus on how we decolonize or decapitalize ourselves after years of being quote unquote on the grind. And we're also going to throughout the season seek to answer the question, how can we challenge capitalism in our lives and center self-determination to build more fulfilling lives? And I, I, I can't speak for you, Leslie, but I know for me, um, it was like 15 years at a super toxic work environment yeah and the um that still lingers you know it's, you, you gracefully tried to get me out of there for so long oh, gosh so long yeah so i think for me uh, certainly part of this is um you know people are talking about there's been naming it the great resignation there's um other people are leaving i would say quote unquote traditional work and as you and i have talked about my leaving a, a traditional work and some of the like psychological struggles I had with that. Mm-hmm. I, I think it was like, we should really podcast about that. There's something there. And now, you know, I think all the articles that have been written about it, I'm um, suggest, um, and the data certainly suggests lots of people are quote unquote opting out of normal nine to five traditional kind of work. Yeah. And I think, you know, this is a challenge to capitalism in a specific way in terms mm. of, you know, obviously we have to live in a capitalist society, that's not something we get to opt out of. We have to pay our bills, we have to eat, we have to, you know, keep a roof over our heads. But at the same time, are we going to hold ourselves, you know, hostage to what uh, capitalism tells us we have to? What are we going to value in our lives? And I think that mm. the, you know, the COVID nineteen pandemic really opened a lot of folks' eyes to the fact yeah. that, 
you know, these companies don't give a shit about us. Um, the government doesn't give a shit about us. And if those two things are truths that we can accept, it actually allows a very different framing for employment and what we need to survive and what will work for us. Yeah. And, um, you know, the thing I've been noticing amongst friends and, and colleagues is this need to, you know, have control, to be the mm. one in control, to be mm. in the driver's seat and making decisions for yourself. And that's not to say there aren't risks. There are. But at the same time, I think a lot of us understand we're okay with risks that we take with our eyes open. And I think that in traditional nine to five jobs, the risks are still there, but we aren't the ones that get to choose them. And so um, those are the things that I've been really excited to talk about. We've put together a really great um, set of guests that are doing all sorts of different things. And we'll get to that a little bit later in the show, just a, a little bit of preview of that. But as we started thinking about who we wanted to talk with, that's what was you know forefront in my mind is yeah. talking to people who have really taken control of their employment and their financial lives in a specific and, way. And I love the way you use control and self-determination and some of the things I'm like trying to understand learn from this you know decade and a half of toxic employment this individual was like actually manipulative like literally would manipulate me in a variety of ways so much so that the thing that got me to leave that job was a reduction in pay and then i quit like six months later I'm like oh this is ridiculous you cut my pay i'm, I'm there's a pandemic like all these people fuck it i've got a better job and then they paid me a huge bonus i couldn't figure it out quit for life i was like why did they pay me after mm. i quit and i said PPP loans. PPP loans. They had to pay. They had to keep yeah. their salary level at the same level to not have to pay those loans back. So, yeah, he actually had to pay you. Well, and then I started thinking, what, what did that mean? Like, when they reduced my salary, was he going to pay me at the end of the year anyway, regardless? Like, the whole thing was an experiment to, like, make me jump through hoops. Yeah. And I think that's what I've been kind of harping on with you trying to leave that employment for this long is that it was very manipulative. And I think that, you know, that's how the employer-employee relationship yeah. has been in the United States anyways. You know, it's why unions were needed. It's why, you know, we um, are continuing to, you know, push the need for unions and the need for workers' rights because uh, without them and without that, you know, unity and large voice together, it's it's so easy to be taken advantage of. And yep. um uh, you know, it's one of those things I remember after 9-11 that, you know, I quit my job because I, I really couldn't stay there anymore. And I'd offered to stay through a busy period. And they were like, I remember, you know, somebody was like, oh, it's, you know, after 9-11, because I was working in the hospitality industry, it was like, how did you think you could just leave a job? You know, things are really bad for restaurant companies right now and blah, 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 and all this stuff. I was like, I had to do what was right for me. But it was this like threat to me, right? It was like this, like, oh. You know, this this this, um, you know, tragedy uh, is affecting the economy in a way that I sh now I have less options was kind of how it was presented. to Yeah. Me. I mean, your family, when when we told them that you were leaving that job, that it moved us to that state, they were like kind of shocked and bewildered. Yeah. And, and I think the same thing was kind of I feel like people tried to push that same idea around the pandemic. It was like, how could you leave a job yeah, in now, the middle of this yeah. difficult time? And everybody was like, nah, are you not watching what's going on? Like, we couldn't even get people to stay home for two weeks to keep us all safe. So, yeah, I'm going to definitely change my outlook to make sure I'm looking out for myself, my loved ones. And again, creating an atmosphere where... I'm in the driver's seat. I get to make decisions yeah. about what happens in my life and how I want to work, who I want to work with. Um, all of those things have been really empowering. And I wanted to 
use the show as a, a way to talk about those things with different people. So you talked a little bit, you mentioned the great resignation as I yeah. started calling it. And I think you pulled out a couple of phases. So maybe you could walk us through those. Um, sure. I don't know if it's like, you know, I think phase has too much like clout. Or ah, <laughs> like well, you know what? You, you can just say it and, yeah. ma- and well, now it is a thing. Listen, we've, so there we've, we been, go. we've been talking about this why work and wanting to do this podcast we've been over the last a good couple of months gathering you know articles and things and just you know putting stuff together and i noticed specifically the articles like i think the way that the lead is written is very telling so phase one was this sort of like um a lot of especially on social media viral of people being like having posts on on uh, a company would have on their a sign on the door. Nobody wants to work. They're they're getting free government benefits, oh, so yeah. we can't open up the doors. Like we was can't, a, we can't yeah, open. Yeah, there was a whole phase one Everybody's that was like lazy. Yeah, and, and the articles were like, ah, oh, nobody wants to go to work. You know, we got to end these benefits. You know, people are uh, you know they prefer to stay at home. They really are not they're not, not incentivized to work. That was like phase one, and like the articles, the titles were like that. Phase two was sort of like maybe this work thing isn't. And like so bad. So like articles are like these people quit their jobs and they're during the pandemic. And here's what they're doing now. But it was all this like really super privileged stuff. Like the these people quit their jobs it was like early retirement. I quit my job because I didn't like it and I got in a van and drove for six months. Like there wasn't anybody that like did something different. They were just like Ugh, fuck it. Like they're just kind of like the shoulder shrug, like the Kanye shrug phase. Yeah. Then there was this like maybe like acceptance phase where Mm -hmm. people like the great resignation is threatening the private sector. And you'd see like data about um, the quit rate is up 57 over the 57% over the prior year. And I'm like, that's not a bad thing. (laughs) Right. Like I I remember seeing that being like, Oh, this is interesting. This sounds really great. Like, Ooh, we're taking control folks. We're taking control. But the articles were all like, you know, histrionic. Yeah. yeah. Record number of Americans are quitting their jobs. And the the best one, I, I don't think I had it, but it was literally like, how to know if your employees will get swept up in the Great Resignation? It was, it was from like Business Insider. Yeah, because you're not you're not paying them. That's how they're gonna get swept up. It's in behind it. a paywall though. <laughs> Maybe even clapping hard. Oh my god, hilarious! So, uh, so what's the next two phases? So th- then there was this like I think basically like workers were just en masse fuck your job. Yeah, you know, just like yeah. fuck your. Job. I remember that like there was a sweeping like TikTok videos of people just like yeah. quitting like violent not violently but like very demonstratively like i'm i'm like recording themselves like going on the loudspeaker at walmart i quit this is my last day like those kind of videos the, the one I, the, there was multiple sms message exchanges that oh ended up right going viral. yes but one was like i need you to come in on on this day tomorrow like, yeah no, I, I already took that off and i cleared it with supervisor no i'm gonna have to need it well then i'm not gonna be working well i need you because there's you know, we're down a person well, now you're down two people <laughs> you know like how's that working out for you yeah, so the the tweet SMS that was like the the fuck your job phase, and I, I don't know the name of the this um, this phase, but I know that it's the new phase when the article's headline is now is it time to quit your job? Yeah, <laughs> not like some people quit, not like you know this that, but is it time to quit your job? And then the last one, CEOs join the great resignation. Lord Jesus. Yeah, there's more more CEO departures in the last like six months than. Well, that's I, interesting. One of the things I noted too was. Um, we went on a little like vacation, not even vacation, just like a weekend up in the mountains here in North yeah. Carolina. And we were in one of the small towns up there and, you know, they have like restaurants, a little little shops and things. Mm-hmm. And everywhere kind of had signs up like, hey, we, we don't have, we're not fully staffed. So expect right. a little to wait a little bit longer. Please be patient. And I really appreciated the way the um, businesses were like, they didn't put it on the staff or anything. It was very like matter of fact. It was like, we're open. This is the new paradigm of how we're working. We're letting our guests know and our, you know, 
we're yeah, we're letting people know exactly what to expect. Yeah. And I thought it was really I hadn't seen that before. It was different than the nobody wants to work. You know, it was much more of a like this is the new norm. Um, we are recognizing how we have to shift, and you are your expectations as a consumer are going to have to shift as well. Yeah. And so I thought that was really interesting. I feel like phase six will be when the articles are actually talking and framing the larger contextual piece, not as a workers. Um, not wanting to work or not like a thing, but a wage issue. Like mm. actually start talking about like, you know, maybe these jobs don't pay enough. Right. Maybe these jobs need to need to change. Maybe the rights and the you know things you have with this job. And, and so, yeah, I think that'll be the next sort of phase. Yeah, um, I think you're right about that. And I like I said, I just think um, through this season, this season you'll, you'll hear from different people and different voices, which I'll segue into giving a little preview of who we're going to be talking with over the season and about what. So, um you know, before you do that, Leslie, yeah. I'll say one more I statement. I have to be honest. I haven't adjusted my expectations as a consumer. Mm. Just this last week, there was a restaurant that we hadn't been to in a while. And it was like 4.30 on a Tuesday. And they're like, we're on a 40-minute wait. And I was like, like mad about it. I was you like, were yes. so I really mad. Was. I was like, dude, like, calm down. I like, really didn't take long. Wait. But I was like, oh, wait a minute. This is like, it's still the panoramic. It is. And, and people just, this is the new, I, my consumer behavior hasn't really adjusted to what I know rationally is the new normal. Yeah. And I also was like, good for them. They were on a, in my mind, I was yeah. like, good for them. They're on a wait at 4.30 on a Friday. Like that, it was to like, me, it was I was like, like Tuesday. What do you Friday? whatever day it was, I just remember thinking like, oh, good for them. Like it's, it's been, it's been a struggle bus for a lot of businesses, especially restaurants. So I was kind of yeah. like, oh, that's cool. I, I, I mean, I wasn't willing to wait the 45 minutes that day, <laughs> no, but no. um, I, I was kind of like, oh, okay. You know, I wonder what, consumer expectation and behavior when it meets the supply chain and the Christmas holiday and all that stuff, what that's going to be looking yeah, like. Yeah, I mean, I have received so many emails that have been like, don't expect to get your stuff on time. Everything's going to be late. Everything, order early, blah, blah, blah. And I was yeah. like, you know what? Everyone's getting cash app. I'm not doing this <laughs> this year. I'm not doing it. Everybody's just going to get a cash app. That's going to be What's the long in the story. I'm going to I'm gonna rank everybody. Y'all going to, there'll be tiers and whatever tier you're on, that's what you're getting. And I don't want to talk about it's it like anymore. A, like an NCAA, uh, NCAA uh, 64 March Madness grid with all the relatives and who's going get what well i think it's more of a like to me it's like another confrontation of capitalism right it's like why should i even decide what people get fair why should i if i'm looking to give value to the people that i love as a gesture of uh Direct expression giving. of life and uh, of love and um you know wanting to celebrate together why wouldn't i just give them cash why would you want you might want to spend it on something that I would never even think of. Cash is never the wrong gift. Never. Mm-hmm. So, um, yeah, I, I think even this idea that like I should be able to pick a gift for somebody is rooted in some notion of me choosing for other people. So I actually am very into this new paradigm okay. of like, I'm not going to stress myself out over gifts for people anymore. Was well, um, I, I, I tangentially sidetracked because you're going to talk about who we're Yeah, so you start out with that then. All, All right. right. We're going to... Um, oh, no, I'll, I'll start. Yes, so, yeah, yeah, so we're going to talk to Clove Roy from the club. Clove and Shirley podcast, who also left a long-term position um, over the last year, Toxic Work Environment. I don't think we're going into too many details around the, his work, but what we really wanted to talk about, we'll be talking about with Clove, is what did it? what is it like when you extract yourself from a toxic work environment and what are the things you have to kind of confront in that detachment? Because it's a hard thing to disassociate yourself from and mm. not react in the way or make assumptions in the same way that you did about 
whatever you're doing now versus what you were doing before. Mm. And I know you've had the same issue as yeah. well. Kind of, I kept saying that to you um, in your last job. I was like, well, don't assume it's the same as the last job. I mean, it's two different places. And you're... Your armor was so well attuned to that toxic environment that it was really hard to for and, you to break free and, of that. And I gave that job like six more months yep. than they needed and deserved. Yeah. And they showed me exactly what the, they did. But I when they right. showed you, you were like ready to go. You were like, yeah. that's it. I'm out. Yeah. yeah. So it, I think it was like to me, it was like phase it. It was like good for you to have a, another job because it kind of like almost like phased you out of a job traditional work environment in a way like you went from super toxic to like not as toxic to like now working you know for for ourselves which is yeah. really different I, I mean in short it was one of the more healthiest work environments i've ever had and still and still and still and still and still and those are things that i i hadn't even grasped that were messing me up about work just you know like waking up and going to bed and getting up at seven in the morning to go to the bathroom if i have something to do for work that's required I can't go back to sleep. Mm -hmm. If I have something that I need to do for you and your business, I can go back to sleep. Yeah. And I don't know why. I can't, I can't. And that's like a weird, why does capitalism have like, you know, it's so weird. We have a very wealthy friend that, that works on passing generational, generational wealth from family member to family member. And I'm talking about my role at this firm, this talkiness. And they were like, oh, Drew, honey, you're a key employee. Mm -hmm. What's that mean, key employee? Uh, so they described a key employee as someone that's central to the business, that's basically running the business, that's trusted by the, the family that owns the business, but in no way or shape has equity in said business. Nor will they ever. Nor will they ever. Because yeah. as soon as you have the equity, they actually lose your their leverage. Yeah, you're no longer a key employee. Yeah. Now you're a partner and a stakeholder. But like they said it was like, oh, oh Drew. You didn't know that. You're mm. a key employee. Key employees get screwed all the time. Yeah. Uh, who else are we going to talk to? Uh, we've got uh, Catalyst wants to pound of flesh, and that's going to be Angela Peoples and Kevin Bennett from the South. And they've um, likewise sort of formed their own LLC, um, done things differently. They've got apparel. They're doing all, they've got the, the tentacles that is the South there and lots of things. But um, they've been doing it for, I think, pre pandemic for quite a while now. So, yeah. And I see. think with them, the thing I want to talk when I say no matter their work, it's because Kevin and Angela, you know, they, they were working for, you know, AFL CIO. They were working for uh, Forward.us. They were working for, um, mm. you know, organizations and entities that are not you know they are traditional workplaces and how they're structured but this was like you know work for the greater good right they weren't just making widgets correct um and still capitalism you know had its way in there and 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 created toxic work environments that they had to deal with and so i think for them creating the south has been you know a labor of uh really imagining differently what what could it be especially as they're now hiring people and bringing folks onto their staff you know yeah. what does it look like to build something differently uh, speaking of building differently, and this is really exciting, we're going to talk to Janae Brown, who is the uh, founder and owner of Growth, G-R-O-W-F. And I found Janae on TikTok. So Janae had this dope idea. She posted a TikTok video. She was thinking, could I make a rolling paper out of pineapple pulp? And so she tried it, tried it out. And um, she did a couple of TikTok videos about the process. And then she showed how it worked. And then people, I think in the beginning, you literally like cash apped her and then like emailed her your address and you got, she would send you some. And now she has a 
uh, storefront in yep. uh, in Virginia. Uh, she's she's just did a huge, um, I think it was called like Blunt's Giving or something like that. That she just did an event. They're doing events. Um, she has a wide uh, range of of different things, and people can order like every month. She has new flavors. I just think it's really interesting to. It'll be great to talk with her about this idea of coming up with idea and building a whole business around it. Something yeah. that just came right from your head. And now you have an entire it ecosystem that you're just wild. You're like, like, like having a child, right? Yeah. Like bringing something to fruition that way. And I really just want, you know, we shouldn't let it pass without saying that the multi-billion dollar industry that's the quote unquote green or marijuana revolution yep. has almost by and large passed black folk by Absolutely. design by design by right? design definitely if you have any kind of conviction you can't have anything to do with this sort of industry and i think there's less than one or two percent of um retail or dispensaries are owned by black people Absolutely. so to have a black woman owned um lifestyle and uh you know because it's more than just it's a papers. brand, yeah, it's yeah, a whole brand, brand, a lifestyle yeah. brand in the cannabis industry is really impressive. And to, like you said, do it from TikTok to storefront in it's amazing, less than a year. Yeah, it wasn't even eighteen months. It wasn't. And wow. I'm sure Janae had other, you know, obviously as a businesswoman and and had the you know wherewithal and knowledge to do the business part of it. But I I'm really excited to talk with her about how how this all came to be. It feels a bit like a Cinderella story. Yeah. And so I'm excited to talk with her That'll about be a fun that. One. Mm -hmm. Then we're going to talk with our good friend, Dr. Takia Nuramin, about creating your own path. Mm. And Dr. Amin's um, actually created quite a path in academia. I'm going to explore, I think we hope we can explore um, academia with um, Dr. Amin. And if you're a black woman that's also in academia, um, she does some um, mentorship for folks, but um, just a, an amazing person. Um, and she's definitely created her own path. Um, and with, you know, without, not without its um, hiccups and tumults and, and difficulties for sure. Yeah, I think with, with um, Takia, what I really want to hammer, you know, kind of delve deep into is, you know, when you love... Um, an environment, right? When you feel, mm. you know, academia is 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 the work that she's chosen and it's incredibly toxic and has been terrible to her. So how do you balance those things and how do you build a life that um, works for you in that environment and how do you do that? So I'm really excited to talk with Taki about that. She's really... Um, yeah, I, I call her a trailblazer because she's she's still in the academy, right? And she's still yep. doing work that's impactful there, but in a little bit non-traditional ways. And so I'm excited to talk with her about that. I could just talk to my friend Taki about anything <laughs> for ages and ages and ages and ages. We're also going to talk with Megan Williams, who is the founder of Black Freelance. And we're going to talk with Megan about building community outside the cubicle. Megan has put together an incredible uh, community of Black freelancers, and um, she even has a program to help people get into freelancing and so we're going to talk all about how how does how does this work and what does it mean this need for community is still there even if you're outside of a traditional work environment and how that's worked really well for her yeah i mean even and i, I shouldn't speak for anyone but my, myself I, i'm an experiential learner and the things that i'm doing for your business as a freelance I've stumbled, you know, I'd like learn and find other communities of people like, oh, how do you do this? And how do you do that? And okay, we make this mistake. Let's not make that one. So um, that community is really important. I think in particular for, for black folk. And I'm also going to talk with um, Melissa Thompson, the um, owner and creator of Ramp Your Voice. And um, we're going to talk to them about freedom and freelance and just sort of what freelance um, work has done um, for them and um, how it's benefited multiple areas of, of, uh, 
So this is life. Yeah, and that's going to be our second episode. So you'll get to hear that next week. Really excited to share that conversation we had with Vilissa um, and talking about how they made this decision to leave a traditional work environment, how freelance has been for them, and what were the things that were surprising? How did it change their lives? And how did it open up new possibilities for them? Because I really think that that's the thing I that I got a lot from that conversation. So I'm super excited yeah. to share that with I, everybody. From that conversation, I know that also speaking with Clove, um, before, not in recording, but just privately, um, and then my own life, the impacts of mental health, mm. that, that just leaving a, a toxic or even just a nine to five going freelance, um, I hadn't encountered, I hadn't really counted on what a massive lift to my mental health um, being free from that traditional work was going to be. Yeah. At least for me. So as you can see, we have on tap some amazing guests for nope. you. We're going to be delving deeper into this topic of why work and confronting the workplace uh, challenges that we are all facing and have faced uh, now and in the past and certainly in the future, especially as we're still in the midst of this pandemic. It seems like there's no end to it. Mm. And I think that's one of the things that's been a challenge is like, you know, if there isn't an end to this pandemic, why are we forcing ourselves into these forcing our, our, our circle pieces into square holes that don't fit yeah. and uh, what is this new way that we can imagine life for ourselves so I'm excited to get into it and there's, um, and there's so many things that are like tangentially but also related that we're not going to talk about but like the the housing issue with, yeah. with, with REITs buying up entire communities the ability for I think our nieces to own a home is I feel like slipping away. Yeah. You know? I mean, unless we just make a whole ton of money and give it to that. I don't <laughs> yeah. know how that's going to work yeah. out. But yeah, I mean, it's really a lot of that. And I think you, Melissa talks about, you know, thinking about moving outside the country and things like that, because there's, if you can work from anywhere, why would you point. stay here? Um, so yeah, all of that is going to be coming up. We're really excited. So that gives you a good understanding of what to expect from this sec second season of the Interracial John. <laughs> I don't call it the second season. Season two. 150 episodes yeah. of season one and yeah. 10 in season two. 10 in season two. That's right. So you can follow us on socials at Interracial John. That's J-A-W-N. You can also find us on any podcatcher. Just search Interracial John. Please subscribe and leave us a review on your favorite podcatcher. You can also email us at interracialjohn at gmail.com. You can leave us a voicemail at 657-JOHNERS, that's 657-J-A-W-N-E-R-S. And if you're talking about the show on social media, please use hashtag the John, which is the official hashtag of the show. We're really excited. Shout out to the Faithful 14 who have been with us through this entire journey. We love all of you. So excited to be back and hope that you enjoy this new format of the show. Any yeah. other things you want to share with folks? No. Why work, man? Why, why work? work? High five.